Good morning, everyone. All right, today's scripture reading is from John 17, verses 1 through 11. That's going to be on page seven, 765 in the red Bibles in your pew. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, and then chapter 5, 6 through 11. And that's going to be on page 859 in your pew Bible. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given, you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by con- contemplating the work you gave me, gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I prayed for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they, will, but they are still in the world, and I am counting to you, coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you part participate in the suffering sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed if you are insulted because of the name of Christ you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. I need someone who's strong today. Who's strong? Arby, are you strong? You want to come up here and help me? Let me see those muscles. Let me see him. Oh, good. You're good and strong. Why don't you 
come right over here, and I'm going to ask you to break this stick for me. Do you think you can do that? He's doing it. He's strong. Oh, my goodness. You think you can break one? I don't know. Let's see. We'll bring it to you. Do you want to take this over and see if Ben can break that? Oh, oh, he's doing it too. Wow, you guys are strong. It looks like spaghetti, right. Now, I have a challenge for you. With all those good, strong muscles, can you break that? Nope. <laughs> Turn around so they can see you doing it because, oh my goodness, it's the same stick. But there's more. Yeah, that's a problem, huh? I don't know if there's anybody here strong enough that could break this. You think he could? <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Come on. Let's see. Let me see those muscles. Oh, he's got some good muscles. I don't know. He might be able to. Oh, I don't know. Can't get it. I, I don't, if, if Mr. Ron can't get it, I don't know if you could get it. You can try. Yeah, that's pretty hard, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's exactly right. If we were to pull these rubber bands off of here, and each one was separate, we could break it just like this. Right? It would be real easy to break each one of these sticks if they weren't all tight together. And that's what Jesus was talking about in our scripture reading this morning. When he was praying for, you can sit down, thank you very much. Uh, praying for us, he said, God, make them one, like you and I are one. Because when we're by ourselves, it's real easy to be broken. It's real easy for the devil to get in there and say, oh, you don't need to go to church. Oh, you don't have to be nice. You don't have to love that person. And then we end up broken. But when we are together with others who are following Jesus, just like us, it's really hard for that to happen. We can't be broken because we're bound together by God's love and by God's protection. Jesus prayed for that, and we can claim that. We could be a Christian and hang out by ourselves. We can do that. But we're not going to be very strong when trouble comes. But when we're together, we can pray for each other, we can help each other, we can care for each other, we can celebrate with each other, and that's what it's all about. So we can be very thankful that we can gather together as a church family. The church isn't the building. The church is us, the people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have joined us together. You have prayed for us that we can be one like you and God are one. And we thank you that you protect us. You protect us when we're by ourselves, but you protect us even more when we're together. And we thank you for your love that binds us together and makes us strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you 
that you guide the future as you have the past. You don't micromanage us, but you have your eye on all things and your hand over all things, and your desire is to bless. And we trust in that, and we ask that you will help us to see that as we study your word together today. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't always remember to do this, um, but I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the passages that we read this morning. We're going to mostly look at John 17 first, and then we'll look at the First Peter passages. Um, again, in your pew Bibles, John 17 is on page 765, and 1 Peter the, chapter 4 is on 859. Um, I want to tell a little story about why I invite you to do this. So I used to work, as you know, I used to work as a Christian education director for a church in Worcester, and um, that church, there were some really great things about that church, and then they also had some different views on how we read the Bible and why and, and that kind of thing. And um, one day I said to the pastor at the time, um, when you preach, I like to be able to look in my Bible. There aren't enough few Bibles for people if they didn't bring their own. And he got really offended and said, why do you think I'm not going to, why do you need to look? Do you think I'm not going to tell you the truth? <laughs> and I thought, that isn't really why, but honestly, guys, I love for you to be able to look in your Bible passages, because I'm not just reading the Bible straight out. I want you to see if what I'm actually saying is really in there. I don't want you to just assume that I'm standing up here and I'm your pastor and I went to school and so I'm 100% getting it right all the time. <laughs> um, I think that, I, I mean, I certainly try to. I pray when I prepare my sermons, but just if, especially if you are a visual learner and it helps to read, if reading doesn't help you, don't bother. But um, I just want you to know that I take the scripture really seriously and I take preaching really seriously, and so I encourage you to dig into the word while I'm digging into the word, and we'll both probably get a lot more out of it together. So um, that sounds kind of like studying, and so let's talk about exams. <laughs> um, it's exam season, right? Is it? Ish. Ella's not up here, so... Okay, yeah. So, um, who likes exams? I see no hands. <laughs> How strange. Um, what is the point of exams? Do they have a purpose? And this doesn't have to just be school exams. There can be professional exams, which I'm studying for one of those right now. And uh, I know Ray, do driving tests and stuff. What's the point of these things? It shows what you know. Right. Any other reason? Okay, make sure you're doing what you're supposed to. If you, if you just take an academic exam in school, you may just be able to, I was an English major, and it was, those exams were great, because if you have a good aptitude with words, you can make up a whole bunch of stuff that sounds really literary and get an A. <laughs> and you don't have to study super hard. You kind of do, but, um, but, if you're taking a driving test, you better know how to drive if you hope to pass it, right? 
Um, so it's not just the stuff that you know in your head, it's stuff that you know that comes out in the thing that you're being tested on. Okay, so Peter says, and we're going to go to John pretty soon, but in 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The Pew Bibles don't say it that way. Um, they kind of blend the fiery ordeal term and the testing into one term, and I forget exactly, how does it word it? Verse 12, 1 Peter 4, 12. Okay, at the painful trial. I, this is, that's the older NIV, this translation that I am working from is the newer NIV, and I like the way they put it here because they kind of make what's ha what Peter's describing a little bit clearer. There's a fiery ordeal that has come on these people that he's writing to to test them. And he's basically saying, don't freak out, it's not weird. We'll get back to that. First of all, what in the world is an ordeal? It's a situation, but not just any situation. Unpleasant situation. Okay, usually the outcomes are very important. Often long-lasting. Stressful. What's that? A trial, yes, like the older version says, yes. So, our hard times and our ordeals a test? Are they an exam? Yes, no question, to a point. Okay, it sounds like there's a question. Um, <laughs> there are some unhealthy ways that sometimes churches, different churches, I haven't heard this a ton here, but um, these are pretty common and I do hear them around. There are some things that we say to make ourselves feel better or to try to encourage ourselves when we're going through hard times or suffering or grief or ordeals. And one of those things people like to say is God won't give you more than you can handle. Take that, put it in a ball, throw it in the trash. It is not in the Bible. It is a misquotation and misinterpretation of something that is in the Bible which says that when, that God will not give you a temptation that you cannot overcome. If there's a temptation that comes upon you, God will always provide a way out. So you do not have to succumb to the temptation. That is what that phrase, that is where that phrase comes from. And the, the cliche about it, God won't give you more than you can handle, is crap. <laughs> um, and some of us know this from real life. We have sometimes received in our lives more than we could handle. Um, there's another thing that people like to say, which is everything happens for a reason, and that one is less wrong, um, but the reason that people sometimes assume is a little different. So sometimes the reason that things happen is because we made some poor decisions or we even sinned. Sometimes the reason is other people made poor decisions and sinned. Sometimes the reason is the world is flawed and Jesus hasn't come back and fully restored it yet. 
And sometimes the reason could be testing. We know that in a part of the Bible it says God doesn't test anyone. I forgot to look up what reference that is. Um, but it does say that there. And maybe there's different words in the Greek. I didn't look that up either. But if a, an ordeal is a test and God doesn't test anyone, then here's what I propose. A life on a sin-filled planet has difficult times built into it. That God doesn't necessarily send to test you, but if we belong to Jesus, that ordeal will become a test because it's going to test automatically, by default, the, the extent to which we are being transformed. How far are we becoming like Christ? How far have we become like Jesus? So even if God doesn't cause the testing, God can do something good with the situations that grieve us. God can give those things purpose. So it, it's not necessarily right to say everything happens for a reason, meaning there was a reason God made this happen. But God can give the thing a reason which can be redemptive and good. So, when I was looking at this letter from Peter to the diaspora, which Lori taught us that word the other week, thanks Lori, um, the diaspora is the people of God that are spread out, in this case, around the Roman Empire, and Peter is writing to persecuted churches who are, as we described a few weeks ago, suffering for doing good. They are suffering for the good news. And when I started writing this, and when I first read that passage, I thought I was going to talk about suffering in general and how God goes through hard times with us. We talk about that kind of a lot here, and actually we already talked about that kind of in the Good Shepherd sermon. Then I realized that these passages today are specifically about suffering as Christians, suffering because we follow Christ. And what I thought about while I was reading this and praying is that sometimes the suffering that we experience from following Christ comes from the outside as persecution, which is what was happening for these churches that the Apostle Peter was writing to. But sometimes the suffering that we experience because we belong to Jesus is drama on the inside. So maybe this passage in 1 Peter can apply to both, and not just the first thing. This passage needs to have something to say to us, 21st century Americans in a tiny church in a unique New England town. Southbridge is pretty unique. Um, something, this is in the Bible, though, and so even though it wasn't written to us, it is written for us, and there must be something for us in this passage. Are we facing ordeals here at Central Baptist? Okay, that was pretty <laughs> emphatic. <laughs> okay, so now let's turn to what Jesus says in John 17. We're going to go back to 1 Peter in a minute. But in John 17, that is Jesus' prayer for his people, for the church, his disciples then, but also the church that would form. Um, and it's during, he's praying it 
during the Last Supper, and he is about to be crucified. And in this prayer, he prays that his Father will glorify him with the glory he used to have. So Jesus is God, he's the Son of God, he was with his Father, and then he became a human and came and lived with us, and now he's asking for that glory back. And he knows, and this plays out a little later in the prayer, which we didn't read, but um, it's related to his suffering. But it's interesting that he does not talk about his suffering specifically in this particular prayer. And then he prays, so yes, for the Father to glorify him, and then immediately after that, he prays for his own people. And he prays that they will be protected, but he does not pray for them to be protected from suffering. He's not saying, please don't let them suffer, but he does say protect them. What is the difference? Okay, if you never suffer, that's good. If you never suffer, you don't need to be protected. Can you? Why? Like, we're going to suffer, but we're going to be happy about it? Maybe. <laughs> okay, wisdom comes from suffering. You learn things from suffering. Um, so, what Jesus is praying for, if we read the context of his prayer and why he says to, you know, his Father protect them, he is asking God the Father to protect his people from the temptation to walk away from him. He says, there's, um, they have believed me and they believed the things about me and they believed what you've shown them as they believe all the things. Now protect them. Keep them from falling away, from walking away from that. Protect them from the temptation to walk away from me, Jesus is saying, and from each other. Because then the next thing he says, in verse, or the, at the end of this passage that we read today, in verse 11 he says, Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So God is saying, or Jesus is saying, the way to protect them and to, and to give me back the glory that I had is for them to be one, to hang in there together. Four years ago, my first sermon series here was about God's glory, and we talked about how glory, anything's glory, is the essence of what it is. So the, the core thing that makes the thing what it is, is its glory. God's glory is love. So, so when we talk about glory, we're talking about God's love. Um, love is the only attribute that we are told God is. Everything else is a, a descriptor. So God can sometimes be angry, or God is um, just, which is an, an adjective, but it's not a thing. God is not justice. God is just. God is, though, God is love. The essence of God is love. And for the Father pr to protect us and unite us to the Son means that we will not turn away from him when things get difficult, 
And it means that we will hang on to him so tightly that the love of God squeezes out of us and through us. God's glory, God's love will come into us and squeeze out. The glory in suffering, what is good about grief is how much genuine love results. If something else results, then it wasn't good. But God can make good out of grief when genuine love results out of it. For the Father to protect us by the power of the name he gave Jesus means that his people will be united in his love during hard times, not driven apart by those hard times. This is true when people on the outside make us suffer. In fact, it's almost easier because we can unite against an outside opponent, right? We are all in this together. You've heard that phrase a few times over the last few years. It's easier when it's an outside force. It's harder, but it is more important when we're getting on each other's nerves within the church itself, within the community that God is bringing together. <coughs> so some of us like to say that we're the island of misfit toys here at Central Baptist Church, um, and that is actually, I think, one of the glorious things about this church. And I like to, Paul and I like to talk sometimes about how it seems like God just handpicks people here. I don't feel like anybody's here by accident. Um, but we're, we might all not look super different from each other, but we're all pretty different from each other. This is why we're the island of misfit toys, because we don't really fit any kind of mold, and that is fantastic, but it's also challenging. Um, I don't think most of us here at this church, except for, unfortunately, maybe Hayden, are going through the kind of fiery ordeal that Peter's first readers were. They're not, we're not going through a ton of outside persecution, but I think this year, after you know, me being the new pastor, and then suddenly there's a pandemic, and we've been trying to figure all that stuff out, and we've had to um, lay to rest a number of our really significant church members, and, and there have been all these things, and now we are poised after some really almost, well, yeah, actually miraculous evidence of God's great love for our congregation. There's provision of people and resources, and this year it feels like, to me, like we are struggling to get out of our own way. And I say we, also including myself. Just as we are ready, poised, and equipped to grow and really flourish, and blossom, all of a sudden there are hurt feelings between people and misinterpretation and some boundaries crossed. I might be one of those people that does that. That's a, that's a sin that I struggle with. Um, and people hanging on to habits or kind of little cliques forming. This isn't me scolding you. We already had one of those sermons in March. I don't need to do that again. <laughs> um, we, this is an observation. This is something that I've noticed this year. Every year has felt different to me, and this is what this year feels like. We are all, and I mean all, 
living out normal human foibles. You put a group of people together, they're going to butt heads. People have different experiences and perspectives, and this is just what happens. But we are doing this as a community committed to reflecting Jesus Christ. So there's no reason to expect that we will have arrived. But because we are committed to reflecting Jesus Christ, we also need to be committed to working towards it. So here's some ideas. There, well, first of all, <laughs> there are a whole bunch of people within the last week and a half for different reasons, different people, not together, have not said this, who have said to me in the last week, I'm glad I don't have your job. <laughs> and I would say to that, the part of my job where I'm trying to interpret people to each other, which has been happening kind of a lot lately, isn't supposed to be my job. And part of why I do it is part of my I am a people pleaser, and people pleasers not only like to make people happy, but they also like to fix them. And so, and I read people pretty well, and so I feel like I can, I can explain you to you if you're not getting along, but that's not actually my job. To the extent that I've been taking everything on, I am the one at fault here, and so I'm asking your forgiveness. But these normal human squabbles are exactly what the community of Jesus Christ is meant to overcome, which means it's all our job. All of us need to work on ourselves and then together so that we are united around Jesus Christ, even though, and maybe because, we are so different from each other. The point of the church, the capital C, church, is to present to the world a community that is so focused on Jesus, so in tune with Jesus, so united around Jesus, that no matter what our individual differences and experiences and backgrounds, we will do whatever it takes to love each other in Jesus' name, to have each other's back, to be on the same team. This is not a reality show where we try to vote each other off the island. This is the show where we try to keep everybody on the island and get some more people to join us. And if we're doing a good job keeping each other on the island, other people will want to join us because that is what a Jesus community is supposed to look like, and it is not what other communities look like. We have a really unique and wonderful opportunity to learn and practice this here at Central Baptist. In this way, our particular griefs or ordeals at Central Baptist Church this year are really good if we happen to pass this particular exam. We are, we have grown since COVID. Most churches cannot say that. But we're still really small. So we can actually get to know each other better. We can actually invest in each other individually and as a community. We can maybe not all sit in our same groups at fellowship time. We can interact with each other. We can find out what is important to each other outside of here and 
support each other and get enthusiastic about each other's lives, while we're still small, this will make us so much stronger, like Barb's, man, Barb's messages in a basket are always great, but sometimes she hits them out of the park, and today, that was one. Um, that we're supposed to be like that bundle of sticks, and not just snapping and cracking and popping, <laughs> um, and stabbing each other with our sharp edges. Let's unite around Jesus Christ and be strong together in his love. Here's some things that Peter says about ordeals in the church. This is the wrap-up. The fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you is not weird. Whether the ordeal comes from outside the church because we know the powers do not like what Jesus is trying to do by building this community of love, united around him, or whether the trials and ordeals are coming from inside the church because we're normal human beings and we aren't fully sanctified yet and we got to work on it together and it's hard work and so it's, and it's uncomfortable work and sometimes we're not going to do it right. And, um, and so these fiery ordeals are not weird. Don't freak out. We're not doing something wrong. We could be doing something wrong if we just let it slide under the rug or if we just decided we wanted to give up on each other. That would be wrong. But the fact that these things are happening, there's nothing strange about that. These real-life relationships and interactions are where the rubber meets the road. This is how we become the Jesus-resembling community where other people can meet him and thrive. This is exam time, guys. We've spent the last three, four years together learning and figuring out new ways of reading the Bible and talking and, and getting to know each other and getting baptized and all of these awesome, great things, starting a worship team. It's amazing the stuff that God's done here. The miracle of the downstairs rehab, it, it's fantastic. And so now we have all this stuff. We've been learning all this stuff. Now it's exam time. There's nothing weird about that. Jesus is here. We, we can do this. Peter also says, when you suffer, you participate in the sufferings of Christ. There is a certain level of struggle. There's another reason why it's not weird. There's a certain level of struggle that comes because we're Christians. If you gave your life to Jesus because you thought, then then you would never have any more problems. Sorry, because actually when you give your life to Jesus, sometimes there are more problems. <laughs> Different kinds of problems. Problems that can have a purpose, a redemptive purpose. But we have a Messiah who suffered. And if we're going to try to look like him, we can't get there without going through some of what he went through. Jesus suffered, and we talk about this all the time, Jesus suffered ultimately for our sins on the cross, but he also, before that, had to suffer the squabbling and misunderstandings and lived out in person sins of his friends and followers, and he wasn't even sinful. We have to deal with it, and we all are. <laughs> he wasn't, and he had to suffer through that. All of the people in the community he was trying to build, talk about mismatch. Those people, if you 
know about their backgrounds, they did not go together. There is no way without Jesus they would have been a community. Never. If you watch The Chosen, they do a great job at highlighting the potential conflicts and dynamics between Jesus' disciples. And frankly, nothing's changed. We're all the same cranky people that he called the first time. But he did build that community with those disciples. He did it. And he still can, and he still wants to. Why do you think you're here? Why do you think I'm here? Did I think I was going to be here four years ago? No. (laughs) Here we are. And I think a lot of us are surprised that we're here, but we are. He wants to take people like us and lovingly unite us around Jesus. And that is how God gets glory from his people. And when it happens, it is delightful for us. It is miraculous. It gives us great joy. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Most human disagreements and struggles come from lack of humility. This is true no matter where you are, what circles you're in, whether you're a Jesus follower or not. Lack of humility is, or pride, is the underlying cause of, I'm not going to say every because then somebody will think of something where this doesn't play in, but almost every fight there is ever anywhere in the history of the world. And nobody likes to receive correction. I hate receiving correction. I do not respond well to correction. I teach a class in which I encourage the students to give each other correction and me too. And so I, I experience this every time I teach this class. And I still, even though I've taught it now 13 times, I still don't always receive the correction well. (laughs) Um, But we all need corrections sometimes. We do. So if you find yourself encountering correction, listen, take it to God, forgive and ask forgiveness. If you find yourself compelled to offer correction, Turn it on yourself first, just to make sure. (laughs) Um, I was listening to a podcast today, and they were talking about something like this, a little bit more public version of this type of thing. Um, And they said, if you feel like you are really enthusiastic about telling someone a hard truth, you probably don't, you're probably not ready to offer that hard truth. If you feel like God is telling you to offer a hard truth, and it kills you to do it. You really don't want to do it. It grieves you. It makes you mourn. Then maybe God is really telling you to do that. But if, there, if you're getting some kind of delight or, or self-satisfaction or a sense of vindication out of correcting somebody, that might not be the correction for you to give. So, but... We're all going to experience it. We all need to experience it at some times. 
And so when somebody gives it to you, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. Your gut is probably going to say it's not, unless you're one of these amazingly humble people that can actually take correction, which I encountered one of this week, and I was like, wow, I wish I were like that and everybody else I know. Um, so listen to it and take it to God and say, God, is this accurate? Is this true? Do I need to do, I need to do something about this? Is this something I need to change? And forgive the person or ask for forgiveness. And this is also part of humility. Trust God to validate you. Because I don't have a completely unbiased view of myself. <laughs> you don't have a completely unbiased view of yourself. And nobody else that knows you has a completely unbi unbiased view of you either. None of us do, but God does. Well, God's is biased because he loves you. But he is the one who knows you well enough to know what to validate about you, when to validate you, how to validate you, and he will do it when both he and you are ready. You do not have to hold up your own reputation or your own sense of your own self. God knows who you are, and we're just all works in progress. You're a work in progress, so have compassion on all the people around you who are also works in progress. They are just like you, just maybe they're works in progress in different areas than you are. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Give God your reputation and also the anxiety you have about your reputation and also all the things that are making you anxious. People, situations, all of the things. Cast all of it on him because he cares for you, not because he doesn't. Be alert and of sober mind. Don't just make this a mindless habit. If someone corrects you, don't just automatically assume you're wrong either. Like, there's getting defensive, and then there's just wilting. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Stay in the Word of God so you know how God thinks about things. Don't just kind of go through the motions. Don't say, well, i got to love everybody, so I guess I'll just be nice. That's not it. Don't be mindless about this. Pay attention to what's going on around you and also what's going on inside you. Be curious about others. Don't assume you understand where they're coming from. Don't assume that you know what they're going to say or what they're thinking. Be curious. If they say something to you and it hits weird, be like, can you explain more what you mean by that? Be curious. Be curious about yourself when you feel like there's a problem. If you are curious about others and yourself, you will be more compassionate and you will also better you will also discover better solutions that are good for everyone. You'll also probably be able to do it in community with the other person. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We had a standoff earlier this year with actual spiritual evil entities in this church. Um, this, I don't feel like the ordeal that I'm talking about today, the ordeal that we're going through right now, is, a, is the same thing. Maybe connected, but it's not the same thing. 
not everything that feels bad is spiritual warfare or a spiritual attack. But, like Barb said this morning, a prowling lion looks for the weak spot. A prowling lion isn't going to come up on a crowd of people and be like, ah, I'm just going to get all of you, because even a lion, if there's, if there's strength in numbers, it's not going to necessarily go so well for that lion. But a prowling lion can walk around the village and say, ooh, here's a couple of people who can never understand each other's perspective. The prowling lion didn't make that happen, but we'll notice it when it's happening. Or, ooh, these people have a really hard time maintaining godly boundaries. Or, these people are just so uh, separated off from everybody else in the community. When somebody is wounded in the community, the lion will know and sneak in. Churches shut down for less than this. What we're going through right now is not really that tremendously terrible, but the prowling lion is looking for people to devour, so resist him. Standing firm in the faith, part of which is unity with your brothers and sisters because of Jesus. Remember when Kathleen talked about the armor of God last year and how the armor that Paul describes in that passage is meant to link together. Everybody's supposed, it's not going to help you very much if you're wearing the armor and you're just doing all the fighting by yourself. You're supposed to link up your shields, you're supposed to defend each other, and this is what Peter is describing here too. Resist him standing firm in the faith together because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Our brothers and sisters around the world are facing greater odds than this from the outside. Others are facing the same ones that we are, the same kind, the inside kind. Either way, resist the prowling lion. Don't let him win. Don't let him pick anybody off. Think about it like this. Is there any person in this room that you would be okay with? Oh, yeah, it's okay if the prowling lion takes that person. <laughs> I'm all right. Go ahead. You can have them. That's a problem. <laughs> we need to get to the point as a community where we will stand up for each other so that nobody gets picked off. Resist him. What is the best way to resist the one who wants to split us apart from each other and from our Savior? Okay. And maybe. Okay, so that's, that's I think that's a normal thought. I think the best way to resist the one who wants to split us apart from each other and our Savior is to love each other. Really. And we're sure going to need to pray to help us do that. But loving each other is the best defense. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. 
this season that we're in, this exam that we're taking, isn't forever. After we've suffered a little while, he will restore us, but we need to cooperate with him. In eternity, we will be fully and truly united in the glorious love of God forever. But in the present, let's not take for granted Christ's sufferings to make us one with him and each other. Let us forgive our grudges, let us seek understanding, and let us humble ourselves one by one, but also as a church community, so that he can lift us up in due time for his glory and our good, and for the good and glory of the people beyond these doors. I'm going to pray a prayer of recommitment. We have, when we welcome new members into this church, we all stand up and say that we commit to, well, I ask you, do you commit to helping this person and being in covenant with this person? And, and we all say, I do. But that can become a little bit of a ritual, and we're not thinking about that, those commitments every single day or week. Um, so I'm not going to ask you to stand up or do anything visual because I don't want anybody to feel influenced like I'm going to look bad if I do or don't do this thing. But I'm going to pray a prayer of recommitment to each other, and I hope that you can affirm this in your heart. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us, the call that you have placed on each one of our lives to be part of this specific community at this specific time. Lord, we love you, and it's hard to love each other, <laughs> just to be honest. Um, I know that's nothing new to you, but Lord, we, because we love you, we want to love each other. Lord, we recommit ourselves. I recommit myself to seeing each person as a reflection of you, as a reflection of Jesus Christ, and to working for that person's good and for the good of this community as a whole. Lord, there are so many priorities calling out to each of us, and they're important priorities. And Lord, we lay them all aside, we humble ourselves before you and ask that you will, you will be our priority and everything else will fall into place, that you will be glorified in this community of people united around your son, Jesus Christ, in his name. Amen.